Up next, we'll welcome back author David Fulmer, who'll be speaking about the ending part of his Storyville series, The Day Ends at Dawn. How's it going today, David? Uh, it's going fine. Uh, good to be back with you and your listeners. Well, it's good to have you back on the show as well. Um, last time we were talking about a very different book, uh, and you had not even started writing this one yet. So now you're at the end of this thing. How does it feel? Well, uh, I knew that w this day was going to come, just like, you know, you see something that's kind of inevitable. And I knew that sooner or later I was going to have, have to get to the end of it. And seven seemed like a good number. But also uh, it was uh, that the books go chronologically, and I had reached 1917, and just so happens that 1917 was when Storyville closed. So those kind of things, they kind of aligned with each other. You know, I knew it was coming, and I had kind of had it in my mind for some time how I wanted to construct this last book, hmm. and I uh, and that's what I went with, and yeah. But it did take a little bit longer than the others to write, just, and I guess it was just, it was such a chance, it was such a challenge. I could see that. Did you, I guess in the writing process here, did you want to make sure you were tying up all the loose ends that you could? Well, no, you never want to do that. Yeah. But, uh, but I did want to, I did want to lose most of it. The only thing I needed to tie up was the actual uh, mystery or the, the main plot of my, of the book. And that needed also obviously to be settled. But uh, what's going to happen to the characters um, beyond that? You know, they're going to go on living. And so those ends were not tied up. And uh, readers will just have to kind of imagine or project or, what, you know, where, where they landed next. Yeah, no, I could see that. Um, you've been living in the world of this series for quite a long time now. Um, yeah. Who, I mean, who are some of the characters that you're going to miss writing the most? Well, I actually, when I did the... Uh, when I did the, the uh, acknowledgments in the book and, you know, and also when I posted something on Facebook, I said something like, you know, my characters and I and my wife who helped me, who helped on the editing immensely, mm -hmm. uh, we're going to, we're going to miss you guys, you know, <laughs> you readers, but, um, you know, I'm going to miss Valentine, of course, the main character. Um, I used Buddy Bolden at several times and several several of the books, and I'm going to miss him. Uh, you know, you kind of miss all of them in some way. Even the even the villain, even the you know antagonist, uh, the one that kind of daunted him throughout the series. His name is Jay Pico. Uh, I'm going to miss him too because over time they became more dimensional and more nuanced characters, they became more real and more alive to me. So I'm going to miss most of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, we talked a little bit about it last time, your kind of discovery and, and diving into Storyville, this place that doesn't exist anymore and, and really getting a feel. For, uh, but something I talked to Nathaniel Rich about, who wrote a book kind of set roughly in the same time period, is about learning more about the time period itself. And I'm interested to see after writing and being in this world for so long, what kind of understanding have you come to of this very different world that was there at that time? Well, you know, that that's an interesting question because I kept, I, I keep coming back to the same point that this is something that was so unusual in the scope of American history. And it was so 
uh, just intriguing and interesting. And all the things that were going on at this specific time in history, well, a lot of things were going on around the world and in America. The first decade of the 20th century especially was a time of high change. And Storyville was happening right in the middle of that. And so what always struck me was why, (laughs) frankly, why hadn't other people, more people, written books about it? (laughs) Because it is so – the the more I I wrote about it and the more I continued to research it, the more intriguing it became, the more sort of an enigma it became uh, that this thing existed. And it was so rare and so weird, but at the same time, for people in New Orleans at that time, it was just there. It was Storyville. Yeah. And they didn't, you know, people walked by it every day or walked through it every day, and they knew what it was. But no, no one was, was, you know, t- took it as uh, something that was just like a, an amusement park, twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week. It was just Storyville. It was the district. Yeah, no, I could see that. And, you know, like living here and kind of growing up hearing about this thing, I think we take it for granted how strange and weird it is. Like, because when you put it in a vacuum like that and put it in its context, like it's 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 so weird to think that this thing happened, that it could exist and that it did for a long period of time. It, it did indeed. But I think yet that it's important to keep in mind that New Orleans is such a rare city. It's a world city. One of the things that I found out when Katrina happened, and I was you know, writing books at the time, Katrina happened, um, people from all over the world, readers from all over the world reached out to me and said, you know, what's going on? And how is thing? How are they faring there? And I realized that um, people all over the world think that New Orleans kind of belongs to them, yeah. mainly because of the music, but it's got this mystique and this history and uh, people everywhere, Europe, I heard from people in Africa and South America. I wrote about it uh, for um, for a, a newspaper in Italy that uh, that people just have this all over the world have this affection for Storyville. So there's that that it was such a unique place and is such a unique place. So I don't think Storyville could have existed anywhere else. Is I get is what I'm getting to. Yeah, no, definitely. Um... To kind of go back to, to structure, uh, one of the things I'm really interested in kind of prolonged series is the craft of making a framework for yourself. And mm-hmm. I, I'm wondering, you know, over these seven books, um, did you kind of always know how it was going to end for your characters or did you kind of let the ending of this book surprise you? Uh, the second one. I never knew how it was going to end. Yeah. I never knew who the guilty party would be. Um, and so what I, what, the only thing that I did know is that my guy, Valentine would be standing at the end. So I knew that and I had my cast of characters. And so somewhere among all these people was a bad actor. Yeah. And so I just, you know, I just jumped in and let it take me where it took me. And to tell you the truth, I wouldn't want to write it any other way because having something planned out would just be a bore to me. Yeah. I mean, so so anyway, when you're reading my books, you're going on the same the same journey I am because I'm trying to figure it out. At a certain point, I do, and then I go back and I rework things and get them so they all line up in the end. But yeah, I'm I'm just uh, I'm just going out there and trying to find out 
who's doing this uh, malfeasance, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's fun. So you're like playing as well as moderating a game of Clue for yourself. I think that's cool. Absolutely. Um, how do you think writing this series has made you a better writer? What What advice would you give to yourself if you could go back and talk to yourself at the beginning of this process? <laughs> what a question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think my advice would be to, even though I went slowly, I think I could have slowed down. Uh, now, at some point, when I got the, the contract with Horrorcore, they wanted a book a year. And so <clears throat> I did have to push things along. But I felt like, that I could have done more with the history. I could have slowed down. And as deep as I went, I felt like I could have gone even deeper and immersed myself even more. And I think it would have been reflected in, you know, the quality of the writing, uh, the the evocative nature of the writing. And so whatever I do next, that's going to be a lesson for me to take more time and get even more deeply immersed. Yeah. Speaking of what's next, do you have any ideas on the horizon that you're you're willing to share at this point? Uh, I got all kinds of ideas, David, (laughs) uh, but I just don't know which one to go with. I got you. Right. Yeah. The book ended right now and I got uh, pulled off in in another direction. I'm actually teaching high school English uh, just for the semester. And it's a long, complicated story, and it doesn't matter now. <laughs> but it takes up a lot of my time, and it's just as well because I needed a break. Mm-hmm. So I'm taking this time and teaching. And as I'm teaching, I'm thinking through some some possibilities. But um, I will never lack for book ideas, and I will never live to write all the ideas I have in my head. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a good problem to have, I think. Yeah. <laughs> How has uh, how has teaching been for you? Were you ever a teaching teacher before this, or no? Uh, not like this. I do teach writing classes, and um, I've been doing that over here for ten years. I created this this class I call Fiction Shop because, uh, and I kind of took that inspiration from like wood shop and metal shop in in high school. And uh, I teach the craft. I don't teach creative writing, quote unquote. Because mm-hmm. I tell them, if you're not creative, what are you doing here, you know? Yeah. So uh, I teach the craft and the different aspects of the craft, a plot, structure, character development, dialogue, all those different things in terms of the craft. And then they can apply, my students can apply their own creativity to it. But I've been doing that for about 12 years now. And I have stopped at certain points, but I'm actually back doing it now. I, ha- I do a, uh, a class once a week. Yeah. Um, you know, going, going back to something you said about, you know, writing a book a year in this series and kind of being pushed to do that. Um, I know a lot of young writers have trouble with kind of setting constraints upon themselves, specifically with like time, um, due dates mm-hmm. or such. Uh, what, what advice would you give to people uh, as far as your process or any helpful tips for like getting there and writing and making sure that you get it well, done? Well, I will tell you the most important thing I tell my student writers is, Start out with small bites. Carve out a time for yourself, even if it's 15 minutes. And that time, in the same time, in the same place every day. And you're there to do some work, okay? And if it's 15 minutes, it's 15 minutes. But it's got to be every day in the same place at the same time. And it becomes a habit. And then as you get into that groove, well, then maybe you can take it up to 30 minutes a day. And then maybe you can take it up to an hour a day. And what it does, it, it begins to uh, sort of raise and it's uh, become more of a priority, 
priority in your life. It starts moving up that scale because this is not really something you can dabble in and be, uh, and be successful. You need at some point to make a commitment to it. So a lot of young writers, they think, okay, well, I have to sit here at this, you know, computer or laptop or whatever they're using for like four hours a day, you know, starting out. And I said, that's just a recipe for that, for, you know, failure, because you're not going to be able to do it. You just like you would in any, in a sport or any other endeavor, you got to build up to it. Mm -hmm. And so that, but the important thing is the same time and place every day. And that's your place. It's like, you know, think of it a meditation or going to the gym or something like that. But this is dedicated, committed, to putting words on paper. Yeah, no, well, that, that's good advice, I think. Um, thank you for sharing that. Um, well, David, to kind of wrap us up, I'm wondering if you have any events upcoming in the New Orleans area or in Louisiana, and also where can people find more information about the book and you? Okay, well, I don't have anything at the moment. Uh, we're hoping to back, get back over there. You know, we're over there four or five times a year, yeah. uh, so I don't know when our next trip is. This teaching thing is kind of, from my plans into a skew. Mm. But uh, in terms of getting in touch, I have a website. It's my name, davidfulman.com. I also have a Facebook fan page. And uh, my wife is right now going to work on um, doing some other social media. So I guess it's just a matter of Googling. Yeah. And I'm out there. And wherever I am, I have some kind of way for uh, readers to contact me. And I always love reading, hearing from my readers. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, well, David, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, David. I appreciate it. I always enjoy it.